I said it before and I'll say it again. That scene, that last scene. What does it mean? I'm the dude, you know? Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. That final scene starts now. Hi, and welcome back to the That Final Scene podcast. My name is Sophie, and I'll be your host for the next hour. I am joined by my co-hosts, Ben and Simon. How are you both? Yo, we yo. haven't seen each other since our first and last recording. Yeah, good. You did that intro so kind of softly and smoothly. It's like we're in inside the actor's studio. It's I like... know. I feel like I'm pulling off my Scarlett Johansson <laughs> voice. Uh, yeah, I feel yeah. like Her, you're going to uh... ask us, and what would you say to God when you meet up with the pearly gates? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all good How are since you, the first recording. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, good. Cool. Recovered after the viewing. Oh, you yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to get straight to this. Um, let me tell you a second about me, because I'm very self-centered. So because it's all about Sophie. Uh, it's all about Sophie. I've been thinking about this, and there's a lot that has happened this week, but I feel like us launching the podcast has probably been one of the biggest highlights of my last two weeks so i wanted to ask like how has the reaction been for both of you yeah i mean it's been good people that i've sent it to have liked it i posted on instagram and i never post on instagram (laughs) so yeah it's gone really well i got some really nice messages from friends who listened to it um people were very complimentary about the intro and the outro so yeah yeah everyone loved that one well done simon yeah he's blushing same color as his (laughs) t-shirt today (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the reaction's been great from what I've seen and mm-hmm. the comments online on the Instagram page and, you know, all the subscribers. Subscribers really and their reviews. Yeah. yeah. What about you, say? I got a couple of comments that we should edit it a bit more carefully, make it a bit shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, lay down the hammer, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Apart from that, it's been great. Cool. Of, of the two people you showed it to. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's nice, though. I think it's gotten a really nice reaction, which is good. Yeah. I was quite worried that, obviously, I think I said, might have said this last week, but me and Simon kind of, Sophie, the Instagram page is yours. I was really worried that people were going to be like, who are those two idiots with Sophie on the <laughs> podcast? But actually, it's there have quite been well. non comments. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because I've been reading through every single comment and DM, and I also had a few people reach out to me that I know personally, and everyone has been super nice about it. I was happy I'll that your friend it. is a comedian cinema appreciated my prestige. Take. Yes, I was really happy that he uh, that he agreed with me on that one. That was we a, should have Tim on the podcast ego. at some point Definitely. and actually go through our hot takes, which would be a very if we do heated. prestige final scene, we can get Ooh, him on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For me, one of the unexpected things of having a podcast is actually that kind of pressure of feeling like I need to know everything about (laughs) everything that's happening in the world of cinema, which is on me and I need to do better. You've always got me that doesn't know anything so the bar is low yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just i just watch the stuff you tell me to watch cool i'm an influencer officially but the thing is like when you think about the context of cinema i was uh i was actually at the odyssey film festival which is the biggest chinese film festival in europe they are premiering over 60 films until june 10th i want to say and I was invited yesterday and I went with a friend and I saw a film, a documentary actually called Hard Love, which was very eye-opening for me. It's following five women and specifically how they navigate their relationships in the context of marriage. And that hit home for me because all of them are in their mid-30s and mm. how old I, are you? I am almost 30 I'm like 29 still officially but it's interesting because wait see, I thought I came to your 30th birthday party that was 29 oh 
29. We had <laughs> <laughs> no, 13 is here. We had a Jeff Goldblum cutout. Yeah, Don't you? How drunk were you? I thought that was a 30th birthday. Present. No, that was the almost oh, 30. Sorry. Uh, almost famous, almost 30. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's Simon. Come on, you can't confuse that him is, like that. Having that an almost is, 30 birthday yeah, party. Yeah, exactly. Back to the film. So every single woman has different motivations, desires, beliefs. So they come from very different belief systems, but. Ultimately, every single one of them wants to find, quote unquote, love, mm. right? It was very relatable for me because, yeah, I'm in my, not in my 30s, but almost in my 30s. And then all of them were just talking about dating apps and the concept of having standards and what does it mean to be single and, you know, 35 and what does it mean for you and your future in the context of having children? And all of these conversations that I felt were quite hard hitting especially from coming from a region like China where things are very systematic in a way and like everything's very contained so it was a, an illuminating watch for me did it leave you under more pressure great question i think about the same i think about the same like <laughs> i i mean i'm from greece my family is putting a lot of pressure on me to yeah. like get married have kids and it's like but i'm having a really Good time over you here, heard like my podcast. I'm having such a good time, <laughs> right? Um, so it did explore the family angle, which is much more intense in China. Like you are considered an old freaking lady by the time you're 25 there, so it's really brutal. I think it's gonna stick with me for a while, and I would like to rewatch it just because it was so raw in a way. Mm. So it was a, an illuminating watch for me. I'm going to leave a link in our show notes for our listeners to check it out. So that's my highlight. What about yeah. yours? Tell me, what have you been watching? I rewatched the first Doctor Strange in anticipation for seeing the second one. And <laughs> I mean, I've had a very Marvel-centric week. I then finished Moon Knight mm-hmm. last week as well, which, Sophie, I assume you've watched. Simon, you probably won't have watched Moon Knight, have you? No. No. What did you, what did you think, Sophie? <laughs> I have very mixed feelings about it because it gave me one of the best episodes in the MCU universe. That was episode five where it talked about, like it addressed childhood trauma in a very creative way, you know, that kind of Mm. emotional episode, which I felt like Oscar Isaac was just incredible in that one. But then you get to the finale where you have like a VFX crocodile fighting it off with a, with a VFX. giant chicken skeleton. Yeah. And you're like, what? And Who wrote this? Giant hippopotamus as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I feel the same way about it as I do about a lot of the Marvel series at the mm-hmm. minute. In They're all six episodes long and yet they, they go really slowly for like four episodes. Mm-hmm. And then they have to cram a lot into like the final two. I think WandaVision was really similar for me which is interesting because we'll talk about that as well with Doctor Strange. But WandaVision, like, for me, felt so slow up until, like, the final two or three episodes. And then it kind of go, it goes from, like, trotting along at, like, 20 miles an hour to, okay, foots to the floor and we're going at 100 miles an hour now to get it finished. And it feels like, okay, we just need to finish it. And, yeah, I think I thought Oscar Isaac was great. I thought the Layla character, I really liked kind mm-hmm. of her arc in it and becoming a superhero at the end as well. But it just, I don't know, it fell a little bit flat. For me, I thought I just kind of... Towards the end or yeah, throughout? I'm, throughout, I think, yeah. you know, the, I don't necessarily know if the, the ending, like the build up and the ending necessarily worked together, maybe. And you got two whole episodes of, you know, the 
the, the you know the psychiatric hospital stuff that kind of just feels like it's plucked out of nowhere even though episode five as you say is really good and oscar isaac is brilliant in it and it's a really interesting look at you know childhood trauma and it you know a lot of the tv shows are kind of going more into that you know wandavision's an interesting look at grief and Mm-hmm. Loki's all about like self-reflection and Moon Knight's about kind of Moon Knight's about trauma and how people deal with it but I don't know it just it felt so rushed kind of towards the end and the I really liked few, Ethan yeah. Hawke in it I thought he was really good I thought he was a good villain but again it all just kind of felt like we were rushing up to as you say this massive CGI battle in Cairo between a giant bird skeleton and a so giant crocodile that all kind of ends in about five minutes like so you know. abrupt, like his storyline yeah. collapses in a matter of seconds. And the fact that we have all we have all these kind of um, breadcrumbs for the third personality, that then all we get is that in an end credit scene for a show that we don't even know if they're going to get a second season. I mean, you know, I read something from Oscar Isaac today saying that there are no f- plans whatsoever. Yeah, there's no to plans release, to have a second one, yeah. even though it feels like well, that should be it. And there's not there's no plans to have Moon Knight in any of the other movies, which kind of doesn't make sense to me, considering they're all supposed to be tying in together. With a lot of Marvel movies at the minute and kind of Marvel entities, I'm feeling like I'm watching them because I have to. What, not... for this podcast? No. <laughs> no, just in, ge- just, just in general as someone who's like developed Because I can so relate to that. No, yeah. but, but the thing is, I mean, I know we're going to talk about Doctor Strange in a minute, but like it feels like you need to watch everything in yeah. order to be able to keep up with the next thing. It's mm. like everything but is an ad for the next ad. So everything is interconnected. So there was a- stuff that I was saying to Simon on the way here that like there's references and even smaller references in Doctor Strange that you have to have seen all of it. And at the minute with the Marvel movies and the TV stuff, I just kind of feel like I'm watching it because I have to, because I won't know what's happening in the next one. And it just feels a little bit listless to me. I don't know. Simon will have been watching something much more interesting, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Well, it depends on your perspective. I watched Drop Dead Fred. Fantastic. With Rick Mail. Rick Mail. Fantastic film. I wa- have you never seen it? No. Really? Nice. Fantastic oh. scene where he rubs dog poo on a couch. I've got some dog poo. Right here. <laughs> Absolutely okay. fantastic. Yeah, great that? stuff. It's a film about an invisible friend. It's kind of quite dark and sad in a way. Yeah, it's it, well, it's this girl who isn't, she's kind of, Drop Dead Fred was her imaginary friend as a child. And then I can't remember how it kind of sets it up, but she's older now and he comes back into her life and it's Rick Mail and he just, he's this imaginary friend who causes chaos in all these, in, in these kind of family scenarios. Yeah, she kind of has a bad relationship with her mum and so invents mm. this this imaginary friend to get through it. That's very Moon Knight. Yeah, like, quite Moon Knight yeah. actually, yeah. yeah. So I watched that and then I watched Fish Tank. Okay. Have you seen that? Yeah. Um, I found I out before the that. podcast, it's not Shark Tank, the Dragon's Den spin-off in America. I haven't seen it though. <laughs> very close. <laughs> I find it a really good film. It's If you like Ken Loach, it's very much mm-hmm. in that arena. It's set in Essex. It's about neglect. There's a landscape of like booze and sort of broken relationships. And it's about a mum that's bringing up two girls and she brings home this guy played by Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. You know, she brings him into their home and then he's not who he purports to be and then he and the 15 year old daughter strike up this relationship and it's kind of really conflicting because it's portrayed as quite a genuine relationship even even though number one she's underage and number two it's really fucked up i'll have to check it out i mean i love pretty much anything with michael fassbender in it so he's incredible oh Oh, and and he plays you know an irish banterian Uh, much like myself you can really relate (laughs) (laughs) That's what I have on my LinkedIn. That's actually. what I have on my LinkedIn, Irish Bantarian. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched Human Traffic, 
one of my favorite films of all time. You really like rewatching films, don't you? Yeah, I find mm. it really comforting and really relaxing. And it's about club culture in the 90s, mm-hmm. taking drugs, going out, it's set in Cardiff, and it's delivered through loads of monologues and narration. Present has gone. Fantasy is a part of reality. And we take the brakes off. We're thinking clearly yet not thinking at all. And this feels right. We stop trying to control things. Warm rush of chemicals through us. We're fluctuating. Is this brain damage? We forget all the pain and the hurt in life. I really recommend it if you want to get a flavour for the UK in the late 90s for clubbing. When I wasn't quite old enough to go out, but I really wanted to go out, so I used this film (laughs) as a way to pretend I was going out. It captures like a mad night out really well. It's cool. Nice. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a safe space. (laughs) What's this? It's a movie. No. Oh, I liked it. No. Can I say something? No. I don't get it. What don't you get about it? Cool. I would love to jump to this episode's next segment, which is about our community, right? So Moon Knight just wrapped on Disney+, and then you have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So the topic of post-credit scenes... Mm. is back on everyone's radar again. And I think in the context of like film discourse, the necessity of post-credit scene and then its meaning is very interesting. So last week we asked people to tell us their all-time favorite post-credit scene. I would love for us to talk about our favorites as well, but shall we kick it off with some of the people's responses? Sounds good. So the top comment... Captain America's post-credit scene in Spider-Man Homecoming, Chris Evans taunting the audience for actually waiting through the credits to see a scene. I really love this one. It's one of my favorites from the MCU. I believe it works because it goes far beyond fan service in a way, and it goes back to Captain America's virtues and values that we all love and engages with us in a way that's very personable. Hi, I'm Captain America. Here to talk to you about one of the most valuable traits a soldier or student can have. Patience. Sometimes patience is the key to victory. Sometimes it leads to very little, and it seems like it's not worth it. And you wonder why you waited so long for something so disappointing. How many more of these? I don't really remember that because for the Spider-Man ones, for me, the Far From Home one sticks out more. Mm. Because that's when we have the chaos of, on a massive billboard in Times Square, it's announced to the world that this is who he is and it kind of throws the whole universe into a bit of a tailspin. Spider-Man's name is Peter Parker. It's like an infomercial in a way. I feel like yeah. when you see it, you're going to remember it. Uh, it kind of stands out. The The next one, we got, Simon, this is for you. Ferris Bueller's Day. Oh, <laughs> it makes me laugh just thinking about it. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. We got that comment a few times that you're still here, it's over, go home. This is probably one of the greatest fourth wall breaks. Because it's right? been happening throughout the film, isn't it? And to have it continue into the credits is the perfect yeah. playing with the medium, isn't it? It's the perfect rapper. One of the other ones in the comments as well, which ties directly into this, is the Deadpool one. Yes. In which at the end of the credits of Deadpool, he even comes out in the Ferris Bueller robe. robe. And he <laughs> does the same thing. He's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you still here? You're still here. It's over. Go home. Oh, you're expecting a teaser for Deadpool 2. Well, we don't have that kind of money. It fits perfectly for Deadpool because Deadpool's whole thing is breaking the fourth wall as well. Like throughout the film, he addresses the camera. And And I also remember him saying, don't leave your garbage 
lying around. Don't go, leave your yeah, garbage lying around. around. Clean it's, it's, a dick, yeah, it's a dick move. Go home. He something along those lines. Nice oh, he just carries on, does it? Yeah, he just okay. he keeps going. Yeah. yeah, so he makes a comment about like, what were you expecting Samuel L. Jackson to turn up in a cheeky little number? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, perfect. But then they actually... You, you know, unlike the Marvel movies, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, where they like give you like another character or something happens. De- he just says, oh, yeah, in the next movie, we're going to have Cable, which is this huge character in Deadpool. So rather than just, you know, giving you something like cryptic, he just goes, oh, this is what's in the next film. And lo and behold, in Deadpool 2, the main kind of, well, not the main antagonist, but one of the main characters is Josh Brolin playing Cable. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just brilliant. We got Matrix Reloaded a couple of times. Yeah. So someone said the Matrix Reloaded, first one for me to kickstart the whole after credit scene. At first I was like, are we actually going to watch part three now? But it was just a nice like, preview for the third film. And what's interesting about this, it was actually just a teaser trailer for Resurrections that wasn't done before, just to give people a preview right after the film that you have just watched. So I really like the fact that it makes for clever use of post-credit scene real estate because like, okay, if you're a hardcore super fan and you're sticking around, you might as well get, you know, a nice exclusive preview. I think that's very sweet. Because it's gone from that era of like it being a genuine surprise, like you were getting up, collecting all the crap, watching Ferris Bueller in like, what was it, 1990 or something? It's really old, isn't it? And it would have been a bit of a shock. And now it's just an expected part of a lot of movie franchises. Exactly. Now, someone else called out the mid-credit scene for, I want to say, Sharp Objects. So for those who haven't seen it, this is a mini-TV series from the late Jean-Marc Vallée starring Amy Adams. It's a twisty murder mystery. And I don't want to say too much about it, but I love that we asked that question because when someone brought up the mid-credits scene, I realized that I actually hadn't watched it. So I went back the other day and I watched it and it was so good. And the reason that it works is, is because the show ends with a big reveal, but then it cuts straight to the end credits. So you don't know why this thing happened. And I personally love that because I don't like when endings are over-explained to me. But then the mid credit scene gives you like a five-second teaser of what actually happened in a very violent, brutal way. It's almost like you're not allowed to see that scene. And this is why it works. And very quickly, one more scene that people brought up was from Spielberg's Jaws. I mean, I know we just had a debate about it because like, is this actually a credit scene or not? So someone said the film ends, the credits roll over, a long static shot of the beach, waves rolling in. And at the very, very end, you see a tiny Hopper and Brody making it back to the shore. It's less of a post-credit scene, more just a credit scene. I did like the one of the other suggestions was the young Sherlock Holmes, which oh, I've yeah. not seen young Sherlock Holmes, but I went and watched the post credit scene. The The final scene is an old woman being like asking, a, it's, it's like a man checking into a hotel and an old woman asking for his signature and he signs the name Moriarty. And then it gives a close up on the face and the whoever the actor is, I'm not sure it is, does uh, like a WWE style rock big like up eyebrow just massive eyebrow raise as if it's going to go off his face and then that's just that's just it it's oh, like man. this man's moriarty that's it did you wet your pants <laughs> no not at all because i haven't even seen the full film <laughs> so yeah these are all great now let's talk about ours what's yeah. your all-time favorite post-credit scene so i had two when i thought about this because i'll i'll go for the superhero one because obviously the marvel ones are just kind of an entity of their own. My favorite Marvel one, I think, is the Age of Ultron one. Fine. I'll do it myself. Where you have 
we finally see Thanos. We we hear him speak and we see him put on the Infinity Gauntlet and it's just this whole thing of, oh shit, okay, here we go. This is what it's going to be now. We're, we're finally... The Infinity the, Gauntlet. The Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> Simon it's a, has no yeah, idea what we're talking no about. <laughs> it's, it's a big old glove that when you put six stones in it has the power to wipe out all life in the universe. Good grief. Yeah, another terrible expl- explanation from me. It's Viagra, uh, for, but for... Uh, <laughs> for a glove. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Glove Viagra. <laughs> yeah, it gives a, yeah, it gives anyone who wears it big dick energy. Um, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and this is a children's film. Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's PG, PG-13. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, and so I really enjoyed that one. And then from a, like an outside of uh, Marvel is the old Pixar ones where they used to do the bloopers over the credits. So the ones I really clearly remember are like A Bug's Life. And then one that I'd completely forgotten and about, you know, and then when I started researching this is the Monsters, Inc. one, where during the film he says something like, put that thing back where it came from or to help me. And someone interrupts him like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, it's we're rehearsing this play called Put That Thing Back Where It Came From or to Help Me. And that's the lead song. And then in the post credit sequence... Sully, it's like they show them doing that play and they've like written songs for it. It's really brilliant. Like it starts with Sully introing, and now the company play. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this year's company play. Starring, written, and directed by Mike. And produced by Mike Wazowski. Oh. And they've just written all these different songs and it goes through and it's this, it's just basically a musical retelling of the film you've just watched and I just thought it was I thought it was genius I think Pixar always do really clever ones like that my favorite is also from the MCU nice. so it's the post credit scene for X-Men Days of the Future Past that sets up X-Men Apocalypse so it's actually the reveal of the young apocalypse so you have the film's credits yeah. end and then the camera pans out to ancient Egypt Right, and then you see a figure on top of a hill, and there is a huge crowd bowing to yeah, bowing to him, and this guy is controlling like giant blocks, apparently building a pyramid. Like Baby Boy was making pyramids since he was a teenager. (laughs) Like I don't know what what was happening, (laughs) and uh, I love the slow reveal because the camera kind of swings around to reveal his face, and you see a very young apocalypse. And there is no audible dialogue. It's just like the the setup that's just really well done. But that, my friends, is infinitely better than the actual. I was just about film, to say it's an abs- It's 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 a which sickener. Which is mostly trash. When the post credit scene from the previous film to set it up is better than the actual film itself. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like Oscar think, Isaac, we love you. Like you yeah. did your best. But Jesus, that film. Fastbender, fantastic again. Oh Magneto. yeah, Michael, like, Irish yeah. Bantarian. The, yes, the yeah. Irish Bantarian. <laughs> yeah. Irish he's uh, yeah, he's fantastic as Magneto. But my God, that film. Such a bad film. But yeah, in any case, spectacular uh, post credit scene. What about you, say? I had it between School of Rock with the amazing kind of post credit song, kind of like your song actually, where they're in the in the school where it's he's a, like. It's like Jack Black has set up his children's rock academy yeah. from his flat and they're all playing the rock song out from they his all, flat they're all jamming and he's yeah. giving them different parts have you yeah. seen that i'm sure i have but it's, I re- it's a really happy post-credit scene it's like leaves you yeah. with a massive smile on your face Cute. it's really uplifting really positive jack black's life is back on track the kids are happy 
He's not going to get fired. And his, uh, his, his, his nerdy friend is teaching guitar to like kids who are like really young and they're playing beginners. Like that's a G. Well, you're almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nitch, and it's Nitch just Nibley. like, it just captures. Yeah. Nitch yeah. It just captures Nibley. Jack Black's energy. I think it's just him all over. But I picked as my favorite bridesmaids where Megan's character <laughs> and the air marshal make a sex tape. Melissa McCarthy. And it's her like talking into her sex tape camera that she's put on a shelf and talking about what she's going to be doing to um, air marshal. <laughs> He's actually her husband in real life. And then she calls him like a naughty bear or something. And then, and then she eats a sandwich off him. And I've got a clip from it actually here. Okay. Um, this is uh, tape one, one nine. Air Marshal John and I's uh, first sexual encounter. Is there a hungry bear anywhere? Oh, I'm a hungry bear. I hope I just happen to have this bear sandwich. Is there Ooh, a hungry bear? I'm a very hungry bear. Do you see how my flap opens? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good looking bear sandwich. Yeah, that's a big bear sandwich. Do you want a bite of that sandwich? Mm. It's meat and cheeses. It's almost quite excruciating, actually. I was going to say, it's, it's cringe. It's, yeah, and you know what? It's so much that's cringier. That's why it's real. It's good. Yeah. It's so much cringier just the audio as well. Like, I feel like watching it, you're that's like, true. oh, ha, this is funny. Yeah. Listening to yeah. that just there is excruciating. It's <laughs> like into a bad other. audio when she porn. Says, like, look at my flaps. You're like, mm. oh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think really, we've, really, we've really taken a nosedive from talking about Sophie's documentary at the start to now. Melissa McCarthy's <laughs> making a sex tape with Air Marshal John. It's all valid, but... <laughs> Um, and I think there's an unrated version of that film that has an even ruder post-credits oh, really? sex video. Oh, scene I haven't seen that one. Where she eats like salami off his nipples and stuff. <laughs> cool. I mean, I can't think of a better scene to end this segment. Yeah. Should uh, we take a quick break? Should we take a quick break and then give people, give people a cool a, another taste of Simon's lovely production, and then we can get into the, get into the final scene. See you in a bit. Oh look, a message from our sponsor. GI Jane Two. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, yo, hold my poodle. Hey, yo, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all want some of this? Without much further ado. Here we go again. Let's try to break down the ending, or better yet, endings of the latest MCU film, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Big spoilers ahead, obviously. I was going to say, disclaimer, please, for those listening, we're about to talk spoilers for the film, so if you haven't seen it yet, please do, and then come back to this section of the episode to listen up because I'm sure you're going to have questions after watching it. I know I did. I had some questions. <laughs> I'm sure you have loads, Simon. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're going to get to those. But no, what I think would be helpful first is to break down all the final scenes of the film because just like any other Marvel film or TV show, in a way you have three final scenes. You have what I would call the actual final scene, which is the very last scene of the film. Then you have the mid credit scene, which is a scene that drops halfway through the credits. And then you have the post credit scene, which ultimately is the very last scene you're going to watch on the big screen when watching an MCU film. And this one is usually shorter. I right? feel like they follow a very kind of uh, specific kind of formula. And that mid credit scene is that's the important the setup. One. Yeah, that's the setup for the next film. So because they maybe probably know that people won't stay through the rest of the credits, which Simon and I did. Uh, when we went to see it. 
and he's taking a deep breath now. <laughs> you must have suffered through will, that one. Which uh, I was, I was worried Ben might see me falling asleep at one point. And I well, he to... slumped down in his chair at one point, and I just thought, well, we've lost him now. This is the same person who walked out of the cinema once when I went to him because it was too noisy. That's true. So I thought it was going to be bad, but uh, the second, then the end credit scene is normally like throwaway. It's mm-hmm. a comedic scene. So with this one, we'll talk about you know Bruce Campbell. In Avengers, it's the shawarma scene, you know, it's just a, it's more of a jokey, maybe a little bit of fan service for people at the end. That's the one for, you know, the people who want to see at the end of what's going to go on. They know it's not going to, you're not going to have a major maybe character from the next movie, but it just gives you a little bit of a treat for the end of it. And that's the only one that the hardcore fans actually wait out to watch right you mostly have like when i when i was it on saturday i had a lot of people walking out after the mid credit scene yeah you definitely do i've noticed that more now i think when marvel first started doing it and they had the trend of pretty much everything i think a lot of people would have stayed till the start like i remember seeing the first captain america and then everybody waiting and seeing avengers and everybody waiting but now you there's definitely more of a trend of, okay, I get the mid credit scene and I've seen what I need to see now. I know what's coming up in the next phase, as they call them with, with Marvel. But yeah, there's definitely more of a trend of people just going, okay, mid credit scene done. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's take it from the top. Actual final scene of the film. Would oh. you like to, yeah, break it down he, for us? He, he recreates that scene from Spider-Man 3 walking down the street. Instead, we don't have Ash Williams being yeah, possessed exactly. by dead eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so, I mean, the final scene is we have, we've come from Camartage after the final, you know, the final confrontation. America Chavez is safe. She's learning at the, learning at Camartage with um, all the different wizards, as probably Simon would call them. And then we just get this scene of... Doctor Strange kind of coming out all cool and happy and walking down the street. And then we get this bizarre, of course it's Danny Elfman scoring it because you get this like Metallica style (laughs) guitar lick of like, and he like falls to the ground. And then the third eye opens on his forehead, like we saw with Sinister Strange a couple of scenes back kind of towards the climax, who has a very violent death for Marvel films, getting impaled on a set of railings. Yeah. Which I was quite surprised at. Like they kind of went, they let Sam Raimi kind of go all, like they pushed that PG-13 rating as far as they could with this one. I, to this date, I still don't know what kind of magic they had to conjure up to get like a PG-13 rating. That doesn't for sound, that. yeah, for, for that film in general, yeah. like it was quite startling at times. It's scary. If I had like kids, I don't think I would take them I to have, see that So film. I have young cousins who like to see the Marvel. you had children. No, <laughs> that's not the, <laughs> the big, twins. that's not my big Confirming reveal. Confirming on the podcast. <laughs> My girlfriend's in for shock. Um, no, I, so I have young cousins who would probably who go who like the Marvel movies, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be advising them to go and see that because you know at least that middle chunk of the film where actually I I personally think the film is at its best is pretty scary. Like there are scenes where even I I thought, I'm surprised Simon didn't even notice. There are bits where I genuinely jumped in my seat and I thought, well, Simon's going to think I'm a, such a loser now. <laughs> <laughs> is it aimed at children? Who's it aimed at? Families, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's aimed Marvel. at everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. for me, it felt a bit like watching a trailer for an hour and a half, and it had that level of intensity and stress in terms of the editing, the sound design. You know, the way you watch something that intense for that long, you just become immune to it. One of the things that I think you mentioned this, Sophie, is that a lot of the things that people are picking up on with the final scene is the third eye thing, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. does he have the third eye? I mean, it seemed kind of obvious to me. It's because he uses the book at the Darkhold, end yeah. you know he uses the dark hold at the end he uses the 
the Book of the Damned or whatever it's called in the same way that Sinister Strange or whatever they're calling mm-hmm. him did. But a lot of people online were saying, what's the meaning behind it and what is it? It's interesting because then in the post credit scene, it's unclear how much time we've jumped forward because we then just see the third eye again. My one issue with the third eye is I think for Marvel, whose CGI is normally really good, it's not Felt a bit very, off, didn't it's it? not very yeah. good CGI. Like for some of the stuff they've done in the past, it just fit, it, it looks a bit naff. Well, because you made me sit through all the credits to watch the final post-credit scene, um, I'd like to apologise to Framestore for the poor <laughs> comment on their CGI. Fair play, fair enough. But yeah, I don't know, I mean... I was just thrown off by the guitar lick. I was just like, it, that just felt so cheesy that, to me. Yeah. Which, what, after I think the person was killed with musical notes. Yes. That would have been... Musical notes and a gate. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the thing that the film, it, the film as a whole struggles with in that when it goes dark, it's really interesting and really good because it's what Sam Raimi's best at. And then when it goes kind of lighter and chirpier and stuff like that and you get weird stuff with the score, like the score is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, because I don't know if Danny Elfman's done a Marvel f- film up until now, but yeah, it just kind of it made me go, why, why, do, like, why is it like Metallica are just now in the room and they're just like shredding guitars and yeah, the score stood out to me. I feel like it wanted to add to that kind of uncomfortable, startling effect yeah. of the whole final scene, which I found quite difficult to watch because it was very unexpected. Like this guy having headache like in the middle of new york in the middle of the street yeah. Yeah. yeah in the middle of the street and it just felt like an unconventional way to end a marvel film because usually it's like a happy ending kind of and then you have the mid credits which kind of like sets up the next villain yeah. or whatever but going back to the third eye situation which was to your point i agree the cgi wasn't wasn't great i feel like it tried to get us to think about what is going to be the effect of the third eye on Doctor Strange because we've seen from Wanda and Sinister Strange that Darkhold can have super bad repercussions for whoever is using it. But with Doctor Strange, I feel like that's not quite the case. I like I think, to think they're trying to make him out to be better than ever. At least this version of Strange is better than everyone else. And I think so. And even if, even though the third eye seems a bit villainy in a way, I don't think that they're like with Doctor Strange three. I don't think they're gonna use that as a plot device to turn him into a villain, just because it I just did that so. for Wanda as well. I did a bit of reading into it. I mean, I've read a lot of Marvel comic books. Doctor Strange was never one I was massively into, but the the third eye is more of like a you know a mystical power thing as it's well. The eye and of Agamotto, yeah. right? Well, the eye of Agamotto is the stone, is what he has around okay. his neck. Um, but I'm not, I don't know. I mean, as you say, I think it just kind of, it, it almost felt like a post credit scene rather than an ending scene. Do you know what mm-hmm, I mean? Like mm-hmm. it felt like the kind of thing that you get in post credits rather than this is the end of the film, mm-hmm, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And they kind of just went, okay, we basically got two post credit scenes. Which do we put first? And they went with that one. What did you think, Sai, as someone who's not, who isn't, who isn't really a Marvel person? I just read it as that he'd been taken over by a baddie. Right, because it does look a bit sinister, but I feel like it would be very, it would be an exhausting narrative to redo what you just do with Wanda, which is basically her being corrupted by the Darkhold, do the same thing for Doctor Strange 3, him being corrupted by the same thing. It does feel like a very repetitive thing to explore. But you're right, like the whole like the whole scene, which is why I found it very horror and quite startling, is because it's not like the third eye is your friend either, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, we've been, How you we've make been them, told yeah. in the film that it signals evil because the only other character with it is... 
this evil character who was going through multiverses killing other strangers. Exactly, yeah. So what I think is going to be interesting is like one of the things that I noticed is that at the mid-credit scene where you have Clea, Charlize Theron's character, show up and she's like, dude, we need to fix your mess. He does it again. He opens the eye again. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like they're trying to coexist with each other. It's like almost like a Venom situation, I feel like, potentially. Yeah, I feel like they're setting it up with the third one that it's going to be the uh, using the dark hold has repercussions but it's going to be something like it's going to be in in this this film is strange's struggle to kind of deal with his relationship with others and whether he's truly happy and you know right. there, there's that kind right. of underlying thing of that question throughout the film of are you truly happy i feel like the next one is going to be more about like the internal struggle now he's you know of how does he battle this evil that's now in him you know it's manifested it, it didn't manifest himself really and like you notice with one then sinister strains that the tips of the fingers go completely black it looks like they're almost like they have almost like frostbite in their fingers it hasn't manifested himself in that way because he only uses it for a short period of time but i'd imagine there will be something in that using it unlocks this other thing inside of you that he will then have to grapple with in the future what that is we don't know some of the themes that were explored in the film was like the why dr strange behaves the way he does and you learn about his sister dying is it a bit of sympathy building for him well from what i've read apparently the third eye is bestowed to people that have good intentions. We have seen so many different versions of Doctor Strange being a dickhead, really. And this one is the first one that's probably not as much of a dickhead. Well, he still kind of is a dickhead up until the end of the film, really. Like, I mean, as... as He's a well-intentioned dickhead. Yeah, as as Christine says to him in the film, you know, the one reason we could never work is you have to be the one always holding the knife. This whole film is about him maybe learning that that's not the case and he has to put other people like, you know, America's clearly there to show him be that he saved. needs to put, yeah, to be saved. And find put her others power. First. Yeah, find her power, yeah. Because yeah. everyone needs a man to be saved. Yeah, <laughs> and they need to be America. Yes. <laughs> cool. I would I would actually like to go back to the mid credit scene where we are introduced to Clea. The future Mrs. Strange. Yes, right? In the, yeah. in the comics, they're married they're to married, each other. Yeah. And again, from what I've read, after the death of Doctor Strange event in the comics, Clea is actually the key hero of the monthly title, which mm. is interesting. So she's going to be a big part of the next installment for sure. I would like to ask you, Simon, because you're you're not a Marvel fan. So my question is, what did that scene leave you with when you saw like Charlize Theron showing up like being a badass and be like we need to fix your mask cutting, cutting a hole in reality with this big knife yeah incursion bitch like we need to fix that mess. <laughs> that should be her catchphrase I mean I I can't keep track of who can do what well Charlize Theron turns up wearing all purple looking like Eddie Murphy in Raw or whatever it was, yeah. was Raw where he wore the whole purple leather suit and she just says we need to fix your mess basically and cuts a hole in reality and Doctor Strange is like okay because third of the incursions that he has yeah. created, like he has created in a way. She's like, it's almost like seeing, you know, when you have a child and they make a mess, <laughs> and you tell them you made the mess, you freaking fix it. Well, it seems to insinuate that he knows her though. Yeah, which is why I mentioned about how far ahead is that post-credit scene jumping because he's clearly now. Uh, comfortable with the idea of having the third eye and it's something he's aware of and can use and also he doesn't bat an eyelid at uh, 
a clear coming through who doesn't bat any of the three any eyelids, of the three eyelids. <laughs> Uh, when she appears and 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 opens up opens up a portal, whatever we want to call it, or a gateway to the dark dimension, which is what the whole first Doctor Strange is about. So right. it's clearly into in, in in the first Doctor Strange film, the villain's called Dormammu, who is like this giant kind of monster in this dark dimension and wants to basically consume the universe. But she opens a portal to there, and I think in the comic book she's his niece as well. So there's clearly that element as well of we're going back to that space. Could Dormammu come back? You know, he trapped him in this loop until he let the earth go. But I'd be interested to see how they explain it in the next one of how kind of far forward it's jumped because it feels like, hang on, who are you, random woman dressed like a Power Ranger who wants me to go to this dark dimension with you? To be fair, though, if Charlize Theron came out of nowhere and she was like, come with me, we need to fix your mess, I'd be like, I'm on board, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Vin, great. Vin Diesel just turns up behind <laughs> her and just starts talking about family and you're like I'm Imagine. in, get in the car oh God. <laughs> with phase one, two and three we always knew we were building up to Thanos we knew we were building up to this one villain who had one goal and it's one giant purple maniac who wants to wipe out half of the universe, That is that is it, that is his thing and we knew that was coming but with this one it still kind of feels up in the air about is it going to be could it be Kang the Conqueror? Could it be Galactus? You know, there's lots of stuff that it possibly could be. And for me, that makes it hard to kind of keep going back and watching because I'm like, what's the what's the end goal here? With Avengers, we knew what it was. But with these ones, I kind of, I'm struggling to see what that is. I trust Kevin Feige probably has a plan. But after that credit scene, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, so we now have the Dark Dimension again. And are we going to have Dormammu again as an issue? And yeah, it just kind of all is like colliding like the multiverses there's lots of incursions happening i think as you said simon like the multiverse is an interesting the multiverse idea is interesting because it kind of gives you lots of and you said this off it gives you a lot of get out of jail free cards yeah yeah because you can kind of go oh but it's the multiverse yeah there's all these things and like yeah but like that's too many yeah. things to try and sell to me yeah i um, think for me to get more emotionally bought into it there's got to be more risk you know, you have to really believe that someone's going to be gone forever. That's the thing, yeah. So when you have like 300,000 different versions of you, death doesn't matter, mm. really, or it becomes meaningless. There's no jeopardy, Like yeah. We just saw like the whole Illuminati just being... Yeah, when they wheeled out Patrick Stewart yeah. in that comedy wheelchair. That was, was just... yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> His death. But, but then, you know, there are so many other versions of him and it's like, what does it matter? But I think, like, to your point, we do know that he's set to appear to the new Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, the Quantumania, I think Kang the Conqueror is set yeah, to I appear. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So perhaps, like, that's another piece of the puzzle, another setup in order for Doctor Strange 3 to have him, and I guess him in extension to Strange and Clea. It feels like there's a... It's not as linear as the original yes. three phases was. I mean, it's it's hard to say this because the three phases of the MCU took like 10 years, over 10 years. So it's it's hard for me to go, well, in 10 years time, I could be wrong. It's like, but I still have to wait 10 years to watch all these movies to then come back and watch Doctor Strange 2 and be like, ah, the clear scene makes sense now. You That's know, I'm true. kind of like, it's disappointing as someone who has loved these movies. Like Endgame was, you know, one of, the, one of those films where I genuinely like the bit in Endgame where they all appear had had a audible gasp. I remember just being like, <gasps> and it was incre- and it was incredible because it was this build up of all these films and all this time and all these you know connections with characters. But at the minute, I'm just kind of struggling to find that 
and maybe it's because the characters just aren't as strong. You're kind of struggling to see the long-term vision. I think it would be yeah. so much more interesting to have this um, plan to see it a bit better and a bit more on the upfront because ultimately that could be like the ultimate payoff could be Secret Wars and leading yeah. up Doctor Doom, right? This is what people keep saying and people keep alluding to and it's one of the most iconic comic book events in history but there's nothing that even hints to that right now so it's down to the super fans just alluding to it because it's the only thing that makes sense after something as universal and cataclysmic is the word i'm just making it up um as uh, avengers endgame i think as well the interesting thing about previous marvel post-credit scenes has been it's especially with the Thanos ones, it was constantly alluding to something that the audience knew, but the characters didn't. Right. So we know as an audience that Thanos is coming. We know this is going to happen and it gets you excited for it because they don't. And you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? What's going to what's gonna happen here? Blah, blah, blah. And there's just not really that anymore. There's not that sense of, you know, with the post-credit scenes for Doctor Strange, it didn't make me go, holy shit. As I mentioned, like my favorite one, that Thanos one where he puts the glove on and he says, fine, I'll do it myself. And it's like, okay, Thanos is here. The Viagra glove one. The Viagra glove one, yeah. And he's ready to go and he's ready to take out the universe. That was amazing. And with this one, it was just... I just, I'm amazed at how generous you guys are being to this film. You're almost using the sense of what's to come as an excuse for how bad the writing was in this film. I don't think the writing's bad in the film, though. I I think it's unfair to say we're giving a credit because these films, context is everything. If you have seen all the other ones, you kind of see where it's coming from and why you'd give it the benefit of the doubt if you if you know what's come before. When Thor, Love and Thunder comes out, I could be eating my words and saying, okay, we're back on track, fantastic, because that looks incredible. But right now, that mid-credit scene has just kind of baby go, okay. Because hmm. I watched something like Home Alone 2, and I think that stands up on its own as a piece of genius art. That's a very valid argument. The fact that you have to watch 300 films before yeah. Doctor Strange 3, and shows actually, to get it, that's, yeah. It's like Disney's trying to lock you into their ecosystem. That's why it's called the MCU, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a universe. It's, it's, not, it's not a one, you know, contain. If you want single contained things, go watch the, the DC movies because they're just, you know, go watch the Batman. If you just want kind of once-off stories, then, you know, there's places for that. But Marvel are trying to do something bigger. I guess the problem is they've been doing it now for the good part of... I mean, Iron Man 1, the first Iron Man is like 2008, maybe, 2009, like 14 years ago. So it's a long time and it's a lot of characters recycled. I think that's what they're struggling with as well, is that they started off with like, they, it was so perfectly cast for, you know, for that original, you know, for Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, even um, getting rid of Edward Norton, even though he's a very good Hulk and getting um, Mark Ruffalo in, you know, it was so perfectly cast and you had all these films to get to know these characters and now we're just kind of into that second set. I don't think the transition's been as easy. I feel like we've killed you with like lots of superhero stuff there. So what about that? There is a there is a post-post-credit scene in this one, which yes. is just Sam Raimi doing what Sam Raimi does and That's putting so Bruce, Bruce Campbell in all of his films. Which I quite enjoyed it. And I like the fact that it's a nod to Evil Dead 2 where he's fighting his own hand. I thought it was quite nice. The film could have done with more of that throughout. The sorcerer yes. dude brought a bit of humour. Mm. And they could have done a bit more, I, agree. I think. Yeah. 
but it does cater to a very specific audience. But I do like the fact that ultimately it goes back to horror fans and cinema fans. And it is the very first time that you're seeing fan surveys, but it's not yeah. for the Marvel fans. It's for like for cinema. For, it's for Sam, yeah, for Ra- and yeah, Sam Raimi's yeah, fans. Sam yeah. Raimi, yeah. So that, yeah, that was very sweet. Thank you, Sam Raimi. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a nice way to end yeah. the film. I just love the fact that he does kind of that Tarantino thing of like, he just puts Bruce Campbell in everything. You know, he's in all the movies and it's just, it's so really good. nice to see. It made me really want to read Bruce Campbell's autobiography, actually. Um, it's supposedly really good. He has one? Yeah. Who's Bruce Campbell? So he's been in a lot of Sam Raimi's movies. So he's like the lead character. What's his Ash in Ash Evil Williams, Dead. yeah. Yeah, and he's the lead character in that, which Simon, Simon and I actually saw a show a couple of years ago in Edinburgh called The Elvis Dead, which was a guy doing a not-so-dramatic retelling of The Evil Dead but using Elvis songs. And it is hands down one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. It was an, it was absolutely genius. But yeah, he's been in a lot of, he was in the, he's been in the Spider-Man trilogy as well as kind of different characters. There was rumors that he wanted him to actually play Jake Gyllenhaal's character. If he had done a Spider-Man 4, he wanted him to be Mysterio. I think he refers to himself as B-list. Yeah, so his autobiography is called If Chains Could Kill, A Confession of a B-Movie Actor. So he kind of just Love embraces that. that. He, you know, he kind of embraces that like cult status of, yeah, I just kind of, did B movies, but I had a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. So that's, yeah, that's going to be on my reading list. I think I'm going to order it off Amazon after this. Cool. Okay. I think we solved the ending again, you guys. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Simon. <laughs> the The next final scene we will be talking about is from the better multiverse film, the apparently sensational everything everywhere all at once. It is currently breaking indie records all over the world Make sure you cast it at your local cinema as I'm looking forward to watching it this week and breaking down the ending with you all. Also, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you enjoy this episode, please rate and review that final scene on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It truly makes a difference. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye. Did you like it? Did you like that? Did I like it? I loved it. I I had no idea you could milk a cat. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.